1: That's right, when you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles, and I usually say from the Big Apple in New York City, but I have a guest host today. Um, welcome to all my listeners out there on Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host today, Pantaha Vahidi. Where are you located, Pantaha?
2: Hi, Dave. I am just south of you from San Diego.
1: Oh, that's right. I remember now. And I'm saying your name correctly, right?
2: Absolutely. You nailed it.
1: (laughs) She is, uh, I interviewed her a couple of weeks ago, and she was so magnificent. I says, you know what? Whenever Adrian can't make it, I want you to be my guest host. She graciously agreed. So from L.A. and from San Diego on the West Coast, (laughs) welcome. And we're coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on 25 global audio and video platforms. Platforms like iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, Live, SoundCloud, Blog Talk Radio, and about twenty more others that I won't mention. And we're so proud to be voted the number one Caregiver Podcast of the top 50 on Player FM, and one of the six top best podcasts by Caring.com, as well as number three podcasts of thousands on Caregiver Podcasts on FeedSpot. And we have an exciting show planned for you today. Our author, speaker, yogi, and philanthropist, Eileen Robertson-Hamra. You sound Middle Eastern like my name, Nasani. Are you?
3: My, my husband, my now husband is. is
1: okay, I knew it. I can spot him. <laughs> well, she shares her experiences in her first book, Time to Fly, available now through City Point Press and Simon & Schuster, big publishers. Along the way, Eileen discovered that keeping promises to those that have left this world is a lifelong act, and honoring one love does not mean foregoing the freedom and love that is found in reopening your heart, let's say, trusting a new love, and expanding your definition of family. And I agree, it's it's hard to love again when when love has been taken away. But you know what they say, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. But before we get started, I want to take a moment to thank my last week's guest, Monique Chapman. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website and all 25 global platforms. Well, enough of that. Welcome to the show, Eileen. Thank you. How, how are you doing today? staying safe oh,
3: good. yes safe. Head, head. Very safe.
1: i like to ask our guest first question who exactly is eileen robertson Hamra, and why was she placed on this earth
3: yeah so the who is eileen robertson Hamra is in every evolving uh, definition so i continue to shift and change who i am as i grow and develop and <laughs> uh And um, why I was put on this earth, I think um, to contribute and to be contributed to um, to make a difference and and to allow others to make a difference to me.
1: That's a great response, I think.
3: Where are you located, (laughs) first of all? So um, I, I officially live in Chicago, Illinois, but I am spending pandemic time in Springfield, Missouri.
1: Missouri, huh? (laughs)
3: Missouri, yeah. We live right downtown Chicago, in the midst of a bunch of high rises. And all although things are much better than they were in March and April, um, we have four kids and a dog, and we live in a condo with a balcony. Thought it would be nice. nice. Yeah, it's it's great, but we thought it would be nicer to have a little bit more space. Um, uh, So we've been in Missouri. Uh, We'll go back. We'll go back to Chicago next month.
1: So, all right. So you're you're an author, you're a speaker. Are you a yoga instructor? Is that what that's supposed to say?
3: Yeah, yo- a yogi is a yoga person. So, oh, well, see, I didn't yoga, know that. A yogini, a did you know
1: that panta? Uh,
2: yeah, just briefly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it
1: it's funny. just me. I know what a philanthropist is.
2: <laughs> we all learn um, every day, Dave. Right?
1: Yeah. So uh, you probably know our um, audience are burned-out caregivers, and I appreciate your questions uh, gearing toward them because you know they want to know uh, about burnout because many of them are burned out. Many of them don't know they're burned out. In fact, we have a, a burnout quiz on our website, caregiverdave.com. Are you a candidate for burnout? Because some people just don't know. And so I wanted to ask you, you talk about um, putting your own oxygen mask on first, and so do I. Uh, Self-care and self-love was critical And I like the way you include self-love with self-care Because if you're self-caring, you're self-loving The Bible says you cannot love others unless you first love yourself And so um, I understand you were no good to your kids Uh, I guess we should first explain that your husband died in a plane crash Kind of suddenly, no one expected it and all of a sudden, uh, just like I was a caregiver overnight, and my wife can't speak, she can't uh, walk, you were a widow overnight. Why don't you first explain, um, bring us up to speed on on what happened and, and why uh, your life kind of took a turn.
3: Yeah, so it was um, December 22nd, uh, 2011, three days before Christmas, and uh, we were living actually out where you guys are in Huntington Beach, California. And my um, family, both Brian and my families were back east. So we flew back east to go um, to spend the holidays. But the kids and I actually went ahead of Brian because we had a longer break. They were off school. Uh, they were uh, my oldest was eight. We had so we had an eight year old, a seven year old, and a four year old. Wow we went back, yeah, we went back east early. And um, Brian was flying um, to join us. He was a he was a certified professional commercial pilot, but he was actually um, the CEO of a solar energy company out in Seal Beach. So it was his passion, not his something he got paid for. But anyway, he was a good flyer, um, you know. So he was on his way, and his right engine failed two nautical mm. miles before landing, and I'm sorry. that. Yeah, that event kind of threw me into um solo caregiver of three children and and I say solo only because I was the mom. I didn't you know as I called on other caregivers also mm-hmm. to to step in and 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 to contribute and to to help out because there was no way I could have done it myself given the grief and all of that that I was experiencing. But, um, yeah, so I wrote a story um, about that journey of healing and and then opening up myself to loving again. So that's.
1: Yeah, a- your memoirs. And um, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't consider uh, parents. They don't think about it, that parents are caregivers. I mean, you know, you don't have to have a special needs kid to be a caregiver to be because you're caring for these kids and you're it's probably the most important job that there is. And so you became a caregiver, and you had to realize pretty quickly that you were a caregiver. <laughs> yeah. And um, you were no good to your kids uh, if you weren't taking care of your needs first. How did you come to that uh, realization? Uh, did it take a long time, or did it come immediately? Uh, I'm sure any time we suffer loss, we go through a grief process. But just take us through yeah. the process of what happened next.
3: Right. So I think, I mean, I realized I was a caregiver before. I mean, I think all parents realize they're caregivers. Um, and I, I've always been someone who, I'm like, this is not good for having newborns, but when you don't have enough sleep and you don't, when you're tired, I like have very little patience, like almost none. I have lots of patience except for if I'm tired. Um, so Anyway, I, I learned, you know, even as a young parent, even with a partner to help me care give to my children, that um, self-care was important, you know, making sure that I was physically, you know, good enough or not yeah good enough, mm-hmm. I guess is a good word, to, to care for the kids. But then I think, um, you know, going through grief and going through an experience where I was, um, I myself was in a lot of pain, um, but also then the children were looking to me to continue to support them. And so.
1: And they were um, grieving too, obviously.
3: Oh, yeah. They were, you know, varying degrees of understanding. So Max, our littlest, was only four and a half. So he did not really understand what was happening at the time, but. Um, the older ones definitely did, but they all grieved. They all had their own ways of expressing mm. their grief, and to be able to be there and be able to listen and actually care for them took self care. So, um, yeah, and and I, I agree I, that
2: although yeah. although as a mother you're already a caregiver raising children, and I love how they framed it. You're already a caregiver if you're a parent. But to care-give for three children that are grieving, illness isn't just physical. And when you're grieving, that's emotional pain. So you were double caregiver suddenly.
1: Double, Triple, I mean.
2: actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Triple. I like to call it, they children. say uh, they say the, the sandwich generation, I like to call it a club sandwich generation, you know. Where you're, you're caring for either your parents or your kids, or and now your spouse, and and of course it was different in your situation, but you, your plate was just as full as mine, maybe even more so.
3: Yeah, we, we had yeah we had a huge life with all kinds of activities, and the kids were you know engaged in soccer and dance and mm. school, and um, I was actually. Um, creating a company in, in Southern California called Evolution Workforce, which was bringing wellness professionals into the workplace. And this was in 2010-11. And, um, you know, trying to balance it all. Like, well, you know, without, I say, without my co-pilot, you know, Brian being my partner, now all of it, all of the responsibility was now mine. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of shifting and changing and calling, for, you know, calling on others to support um, support me and and the children, so yeah. So sure Eileen, about,
2: can you sh- yeah. share with us what oxygen mask looked like for you when you say self care? Um, what do yeah. you exactly mean?
3: So, well, I mean, there's some of the traditional sort of grief self care that came with you know meals being delivered, right? That I probably had meals coming to my house for about three months straight. Um, I also physically continued, actually, that is when I got trained to be a yoga teacher. I decided, um, I tell a story in the book about actually, um, going in to see Brian's body. And I was, I knew I had been practicing yoga, you know, 10 years before that. And I always wanted to become a yoga teacher, but Um, it's a lot of investment and time and I'm like will I ever actually teach and blah 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 and I when I went to go see Brian's body I was like I'm not breathing I was like, oh my god I have to breathe I have to breathe I'm not breathing and when I started breathing so self-care breathing taking these deep breaths I was like oh my god how did I forget that we are spirits living a human experience Mm. and Brian's spirit had been released and it wasn't he wasn't in that body anymore and there was this overwhelming sense of peace that came over me. And I, I knew I was going to be okay and he was going to be okay. And I literally said right there, I was like, I'm going to become a yoga teacher. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did. I said, I need to teach people to breathe. Because it was, you know, like, you know, you're a nurse, you know, the parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system. It's like really kicking in um, the calming breath work that actually literally yeah. takes you out of flight or flight. Um, so breath work was huge. And then that translated to on the mat. And ironically, you know, I love, I love wine. I love coffee, but mm-hmm. those first few months I, I couldn't, it was like, I was already had all this energy. So I, I mean, meanwhile, I've got, I've gone back to drinking some coffee and some wine, but in the beginning I, <laughs> I just didn't, I needed to like stay present. Nice. It was too, it was like, it was almost, like, too much. Like, coffee, I already had the energy that I normally would get from coffee. And then, you know, things that would make me, potentially make me relax. I was actually afraid of them because I thought I might lose, really lose it. Like, I, like I might, you know, never be able to stop crying. So um, probably for, like, six months, I didn't, you know, I just didn't take any sort of, I don't know, even substances like coffee or, or wine. Um, Mm
4: -hmm.
3: and that, that was useful. It helped me stay present and in the moment and be able to be there rather than trying to escape, um, which is tempting for sure. Um, but I think it, part of the healing was, you know, doing my best to stay where I was and in the moment. So. But when you escape, it always comes back to haunt you. Yeah, it does. Unfortunately, it's like, yeah we, pr- we think we think oh we'll just not deal with it and then yeah that just actually doesn't work <laughs> um and it is it is easier to process the grief and to process what's happening and deal with what needs to be dealt with in the moment because pushing it aside yeah like you're right then you just have like more and more experiences you have to you know process mm. later so
1: Let's talk about your children's grief and the stages they went through. How, how did that grief manifest, you know, from right when it happened? And how, how long ago was this Actually, uh, So
3: accident? it was 2011, December, so it'll be wow. nine years. Um, yeah, so,
1: so, so tell us about how the children have responded and and grieved and, you know, reached the uh, the acceptance level and so on. I'm sure it wasn't easy. Yeah,
3: so... One of the things that I've, I've learned, and I didn't know this before, um, especially about children, is um, you know, there's developmental phases in life, right? Like they learn to talk, and then they learn to be friends, and then they learn about competition, and they, then they become middle school people, and then they're high schoolers. So actually what I've learned is actually they, they kind of process and grieve at every stage of development. So, for example, when Max was four um, and Brian died, his grief was um, a lot of physical anger. So I I got a phone call one day from school that I needed to come pick him up because he had literally, during circle time, he couldn't make it work. Like He was giggling or something like that, and someone made fun of him. And he got up and he started flipping chairs and flipping tables. And kicking, the principal came in to help him calm down, and he's like, "I'm gonna go get my daddy's hunting gun, and I'm gonna shoot everybody." Wow! Like he never would, he never would speak like that, right? Like, and that was his.
1: That happened today. You'd have a big problem,
3: (laughs) right? Well, and even then, I mean, unfortunately, you know, school shootings. But he was four, right? And his his anger and his upset and his inability to is uh, it not inability that was what he was doing to process but for me it didn't i was like I'm sorry to touched my microphone you know it didn't necessarily look like grief he wasn't saying oh i miss daddy he's saying i'm angry like something's not right so it's an
2: outward um, manifestation right it was a physical manifestation of that exactly. grief exactly
3: and i think there's a, there's some of those nuances that often you know when when people are caregiving for children who are grieving that it doesn't look like what you think it's going to look like. You know, I would tell him he can't have ice cream, and he'd be like, I'm going to go kill myself. Like, you can't have ice cream, you're going to kill yourself. It was these very over-exaggerated responses. Immense anger. Yeah, and then fast forward to him as a a nine-and-a-half-year-old, so i I very lucky to find an an amazing gentleman who's since adopted the kids actually this past Mm. um, winter, we had a baby. Um, wow! But um, Max, unfortunately for him, you know he was so young. He loved Mike from the beginning. He Called so, him dad. He was like, "He's my new dad." And then when Zach, our new baby, was born, he was like, "Oh wait a minute! That's <laughs> a real that's a real dad with a real son. What is my relationship with with Mike?"
1: How old was he then?
3: Nine. Nine. Right, so these nuances... Already feeling
1: insecure, yeah.
3: Right, exactly. He's right on the edge of puberty. It was the end of fifth grade. You know, like all of the... But what's interesting is like, again, if you didn't know, right, I'm care- someone's caregiving for, for um, Max or a teacher or, you know, someone who doesn't understand, you know, he lost his dad almost five, six years ago at this point. It shouldn't be so visceral, but he went through a very you know, depression. He, You know, he had a hard time. And for him, all of the pieces that didn't fit for him when he was four are now fitting for him. He's like, wait a minute, why wasn't there a parachute? Why, you know, why us? You know, and this is years and years later. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and I would, and I didn't, you know, and you'd think, hello, Eileen, that's pretty obvious that he might experience something. But it does tend to surprise you. You're like, oh my God, I, 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 I wasn't prepared. And here it is this, you know, he's depressed and he, you know, he's not telling me why, and he's not saying it, but all of a sudden he hates Mike and he hates me and Mm. he hates everything. Right. So, um, yeah. And that's just one of the kids. I won't go through all the kids, but But, yeah, it's, um, I guess just to sum that up, it's, yeah, it, it, it shifts, it changes, it flips, it, it isn't always what you think it's going to look like, um, and, yeah, anyway, that's all.
2: So, at so each phase, they've had to reprocess it and redefine it, and they've asked new questions, depending on where they are intellectually, right?
3: Yeah. My oldest, or my second oldest, actually, is a, a sophomore, a rising junior now, I guess. So I'm going to be a senior now, going to be a junior. And- Sophomore, or now she's a junior, sorry. She's, you know, she's desperate to talk to her dad about the future now, right? Because she's into environmental science. Brian was into, you know, she's into the sciences. And she's like, I just want to ask dad questions. And um, yeah, it's sad. And, you know, actually, it's really interesting because I learned a lot myself in supporting her as a caregiver. So I, I, um, or her mother, but off, you know, you could say caregiver, um, you know, I'm sitting there trying to fix it, right? She's trying, she's telling me she's desperate to talk to her dad and I'm like, well, you could talk to his parents and you could talk to his, his classmates and you can talk to all these people and, you know, you could be quiet and think about what he might say. And she's just like, shut up, mom, you do not get it. And. Um, it took me a minute because one of the things I think we do as human beings, as mothers, as people caring for people is we're trying to fix them, right? We're trying to make them better. We're trying to heal them. They're in pain. My job is to take care of their pain, right, and to fix their pain. And um, I'm looking at all the ways to fix it. And, and the, one I, the one that's so important, especially maybe as a mother, but often I forget, is like just love them. Like, she did not need me to give her all the damn reasons. Excuse me. I don't guess. We're, whatever. We're alive. <laughs> I guess I, I cuss in my book. So anyway, um, you know, like, I, she just wants me to empathize with her. Period. Compassion. Yeah, that sucks. Compassion. That's all, That you know, I don't need to come up with the 80 ways you could try to get to know your dad right now. I need to, like, let her come to those things. Let her ask for those things and just let her be sad. And that's hard for me, because I don't want to see my child sad, but sometimes that is what there is to do, and all there is to do, is just allow for no. that space.
1: And um, you gave yourself time to be sad, didn't you?
3: I did. I did well, I didn't really have any choice. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, Yeah, allowing myself. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was bad, it was awful. Um, Listen,
1: uh, hold that thought. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. And we're back with me, Dave and Sani, I'm on the Caregiver Dave Show I am my guest host, Penta Penta ah, Ahidi.
2: This is such an interesting story and <laughs> you know when she was talking about her daughter it all goes back to just being present with it, sitting with it, and acknowledging and accepting her feelings. And like she said, yeah. not trying to fix it, just have empathy. and
1: The grief process. Grieve. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to even be depressed, you know, as long as you check each one of these things and ask questions. And it might even be okay to feel a little guilty, you know, that, I didn't.
2: All of that is okay, but the key yeah. is to not stay there.
1: Right. Keep moving. I wanted to continue this conversation. You talk about um, in your memoirs, sharing old memories creates modern day memories. Uh, explain that.
3: So, <laughs> I, um, <laughs> so the way the brain works, right, like um, telling stories and sharing stories, it's Today, I'm having the experience of listening to that story. So, um, you know, well, you can think of it easily for children. Like, children don't necessarily, they don't remember probably anything that happened to them when they were three or four or five. And we Mm -hmm. often have memories of things because people told us stories of those, and it actually reinforced the memory that was Mm -hmm. happening. So, you know, we tell stories about... um, you know, camping with the kids, like, oh, my gosh, or, or like Brian used to take the kids, the girls, camping with the um, the now not politically correct name, and it was never politically correct, but the Indian princesses, the YMCA <laughs> the Indian princesses. Um, I think that name will finally change. I think it's actually called something else in other parts. But anywho, um, but telling them about, oh, when you went to Big Bear and you went camping with your dad and showing them pictures, that those those um memories have them remember him now right or telling them stories about how who he was and you know oh you're just like your dad like that that humor max has and so that that's important because if you don't especially for children but especially for anyone is if you're not remembering if you're not telling stories today about the people that we've lost Mm. um it w- they'll fade it, and and they won't be remembered um, in history. I mean it's yeah. So. Well, without without
1: getting political. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I no, I agree wholeheartedly. And uh, what's happening today is everybody wants to destroy our, our uh, past. You know, uh, statues and monuments and this and that. Uh, they're even defacing George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, the founding fathers, because. You know, whatever upsets them about these individuals, it's part of the past. It's an opportunity to say, wow, look how far we came. Remember, we used to do like that? Uh, Aunt Shemima remember all uh, uh, maids used to dress this way, but now, you know, there are hardly uh, any maids or whatever. Whatever argument you want to make out of it, the past is so important, and we mustn't go down that road where we're burning books and we're burning everything that, that offends us. I'm offended by a lot of things, but I can't. I can't do anything about them. But I just thought I'd throw that in. That was free. <laughs>
3: uh, bonus, right? Little,
1: bonus. A bonus.
3: Yeah, there's um, a. There's you a gentleman.
2: You can't accept a present. I can't you, help myself
1: sometimes. I'm sorry.
2: I know you can't accept the present and fully love it unless you embrace yeah. your past. What you have to
1: embrace been. the past. And the past is your friend because it will take you into the totally. uh, it'll it'll help you with the present and it'll take you into the future. You know, yeah. um the this woman named Joyce Meyer she says uh, a remark that is really powerful it says, you know, I may not be where I want to be, but at least I'm not where I used to be. You know, and that's looking at the past. And Another uh, remark says uh, That's why they call it the past, because it has passed.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I think the issue, I mean, not to be political, but yes, I mean, is is the history and the way it's told, is it actually accurate? I mean, I think that's where the upset is. Right. Everyone has a different
1: interpretation of how it happened and why it happened and so on. And God, I'm sick of it.
2: That's
3: all anyway perspective. let's just let's go personal but if you go just personal like like yeah. back to just our own personal lives and the people right. that are because we've all
1: we've all made mistakes and we, we all have a past
3: yeah, exactly we all have a past and we all have mistakes but we also have especially i think when you talk about grief and you talk about losing you know human beings in your life um that it is healing to share stories about those people, mm-hmm. um, to remember them. Um, I think sometimes it's really hard to share those stories because people, you know, it it, they, it reminds them of them. But I think the more you share, and the more you remember, and the more you honor their legacy and what they stood for, um, the more comforting and
1: mm-hmm. uh,
3: it is. So, yeah.
1: So, uh each child has a different relationship with their dad and with you so um, how do you relate to each one of them the, you know i know it's uh, one size doesn't fit all relationship but um uh, how do you shift gears like that
3: <laughs> um i have to remember who i'm, who I'm <laughs>
1: dealing
3: with sometimes um, you make a
1: mistake right uh what's your name
3: yeah. you know i think one of the and how old, old are you <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, and one of the mistakes I make sometimes is is thinking that they're like me, right? Or or <laughs> you not are not? Me. No, no. And th- there are pieces of them that are like me, but how they deal or how they process or what they need, like you know, I <laughs> there's like what love languages, right? Like I'm not
4: mm.
3: um, I'm not a touchy feely person. Like I I like a hug. But that's not, like, my go-to love thing. I mean, you tell me that I'm great, I'm like, you tell me I'm awesome, I'm like, oh, they must love me. They think I'm great, right? But, you know, my, I have two kids that are, and Melanie is a lot like that. She likes to be told she's wonderful and she's doing great. And, but giving her a hug is not always, she's like, eh, I don't know about that. But the other two are very much huggers. And, like, they want to cuddle. They want big hugs. And so, um, finding out and remembering what they need may not be what I need, um, mm-hmm. and finding a way to to give them what they need. So, yeah. Oh. They're different. You, you, they're all different. You agree,
1: Pentaha? Don't you have a short <laughs> nickname?
2: Dave, Dave, you always do this little dance when you're like this Middle Eastern dance when you're saying my <laughs> name, like you're. Nick goes from one side to the other. And,
1: what do yeah. your friends call you in one syllable?
2: It's not one syllable. It's three. <laughs> okay, you want the, I want the whole
1: shebang. Penta. The
2: whole shebang. Speaking of history and past, there's history <laughs> in my name, and yes. I honor it. The so, Panta. It's the A. I just thought I would ask
1: in case there was one, that's all.
2: Absolutely. The A in my name is the same A that's in the word father, and it's not very common in American English to have a long A, but that's the quick tip for you. Eileen. I want to honor you for what you said and for recognizing that your children have different love languages and um, what you may be able to offer in that moment doesn't actually match with what they want. to receive. And I think one of the most um, complicated tasks in this world, which is at the same time the biggest blessing, is parenting. It's such a journey that you grow on. And I can tell from your story that, you know, on this journey of growth, your children have played a huge part. And you've learned a lot from them for the better. And that's just so inspiring to see that you've stepped out of your comfort zone to deliver their needs the way they want it, whether it's verbal affirmation or physical touch or whatnot. And clearly, you've educated yourself and read books along the way, which my hat goes off to you for doing that and improving yourself while being on this painful journey. That's amazing.
3: Oh, thank you. Yeah, you you. actually dedicate. I dedicate the book to my kids. I uh, there's Ayurvedic doctor that said one to uh, John Dulyard. He said your children to me. He, other people have said this, I'm sure, but he. Uh, th- I heard it from him, and he said, "Your children are your best spiritual guides." And I was like, if that has not t- proven to be true, they are definitely the ones that teach me lessons and have me grow, um, even when I don't want to. And like. You said earlier it's like and if i resist it i keep having to deal with it (laughs) so Mm. um you know try to remember so thank you for what you resist
2: persists
3: persists, right unless you 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 know
1: a lot of caregivers they love the loved one that they're caring for but sometimes you know they may not be in love with them or in love with caregiving But um, there's a difference right I mean we all had teenagers Maybe you don't Well yeah you've got some But um, I remember there were times When I did not like my teenagers In fact I didn't like them Very much at all Because they had just become a different person Now I love them And I have to keep asking myself I remember in those days saying Okay now I love them What's the difference between loving them And liking them Or sometimes you know uh, during the grief period with my wife when she had her stroke, you know, I wasn't sure I was still in love quote unquote with my wife yet. I know I loved her. Uh, can you talk about, cause I don't care. If you ever struggle with that, you know, um, loving someone and what does love mean and how should it feel? And just talk about all of that.
3: <laughs> sure. No. Um, so actually I do, t- I do tell this one story actually in the book and it's, um, so I had to go pick up Max that day from school and he came home and I told him he couldn't do his video games and he was like, I hate you. Mm. And he was like screaming at me and he was like, I hate you. And we had this little feeling book that we were, we were working on and he, you know, it was like all the, the, the traditional parenting moments where I'd be like, if you say that one more time, I'm going to give you a timeout. Right. But, um, I, all I said to myself was just, I just love him. Like just love him and sit there and it was it was kind of a bizarre moment because he was struggling he was angry he was yelling at me and I just literally deep breath took some deep breaths I was like just and I sometimes I like just love him just continue to love him and all of a sudden I noticed I was like he's not getting up off the chair I was like wait a minute He's yelling at me. He hates me. He's going to go throw me off, off a mountain and go get his new dad to be, let him play the video games. That's what he told me. And I was like, but he's not leaving. And it was his way of pushing me, pushing my limits, seeing how far he could push me. And is she going to leave? Is she going to, you know, because he was trying to reconcile what um, what happened with his, you know, his other parental figure leaving him, right? Anyway, so... Um, Yeah, so the whole, you know, I talk about love after loss. So there's, I don't know, there's so many angles to love. There's, like, books and there's whole radio stations on this. But what do I want to say about love? I think... What is it to
2: you? Give us Eileen Robertson's definition.
3: Yeah, you know, just to, to really allow people to be where they are and appreciate them. For where they are, um, giving yourself, com- myself, compassion um, for my reaction. Um, I guess allow. I'm thinking about what you just shared about your 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 wife when she had her stroke, and yeah, like that's a big shift in the in the physical um, way she was. And okay, so my. I, 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 I'm thinking about this, but, um, (laughs) I, okay. So I actually talk about the transition of loving my late husband because I think, um, you know, the physical piece of him was clearly gone, but his spirit was definitely still with me and I could feel him in signs and around. And I actually declared, I was like, I am, I will love him until the day I die. And when I met my new love, my now husband, Mike, I had to reconcile that. It was like, well, how can I love someone? How can I have these two loves of my life? Even though one's gone, one's dead, and one's alive, and how do I honor Brian, write a whole you know, book about him, or you know, talk about him at, you know, over dinner, and, but, but also honor and love Mike? and makes you know like because he's an amazing human being that's like an amazing father and businessman and caregiver you know thank god for him he Mm -hmm. you know really (laughs) everybody thanks god for him for me but um (laughs) you know like so balancing those two things it's not always easy but it is possible Mm. um yeah so that probably wasn't the greatest answer but that's that was beautiful. Mind.
2: Your definition yeah. of yeah, love good job. to allow people to be who they are, I think that's beautifully said. Yeah,
1: Couldn't have that's... said it better myself. So we're going to take another oh. break. Yeah. Don't go away. We'll be right back. One arm, one leg, 100 words. Overcoming unbelievable hardships. is about Charlene, a stroke survivor. Back in 1996, Charlene was a healthy, normal, very active 52-year-old woman whose amazing talents resembled that of both a Martha Stewart and a Wonder Woman. But all that changed when she suffered a massive stroke that left her severely speech impaired and paralyzed on the right side. Who am I? My name is David. I've had the privilege of being Charlene's husband since 1975. We had a wonderful, fairy tale, storybook-like courtship that culminated in our marriage a year later. Charlene had just come out of a marriage where, after 10 years, she received two black eyes and a broken nose by her former husband when he came home high on speed. Charlene believed in no second chances of any kind for abuse, so she left. Finding herself all alone in the world with her 5- and 10-year-old daughters, Cynthia Lorraine and Deborah Lynn, she started raising them by herself for the next two years. Then fate brought us all together. After falling in love with Charlene, Cindy, and Debbie, our love then produced Rebecca Elizabeth. We had a wonderful, normal life for the next 20 years. But today, things are very different for everyone. How about the reaction of nine-time Grammy and Dove Award recipient, the godfather of contemporary gospel Christian music, Andre Crouch? Charlene just won't let the promises of God go and she has not let her circumstances get in the way of her faith. She's not just a survivor. She's more than a conqueror, as the Bible states. You'll be encouraged by her testimony, regardless of what you're going through. Available everywhere. Hey, welcome back to the Caregiver Dave Show. I'm Dave Nassani with my special guest host, Pantaha Vahidi, and our wonderful guest, Eileen Robertson, how are you? An organized person? How organized are you? I mean, the, are you the guy with the girl with the uh, the whiteboard, and you've got everything you know graphed out, and and you know what you're going to do, you know, five hours from now and five days from now?
3: <laughs> so I'm a wa- I'm a wannabe one of those.
1: <laughs> mm, me too. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, I'm a wannabe. So like, I attempt those things, and I so in in the attempt to the to organize it is better than the winging it. So I'm, I'm probably the in-between. So um, I like I like to be spontaneous. I like to, you know, have an opportunity to come up and, ooh, I want to do that, let's go. But I also, I mean, I have my calendar. It's all synced on my computer and my phone. I actually got my Apple Watch. So, like, this helps me keep me um, on track and all of that. So I think... You know, I think when I was when we were preparing for the show, thinking about like taking the time to take care of each of the kids, and um, you know, even even now, like making sure that um, each kid has one-on-one time and not always with everybody else. And we've mm-hmm. you know got a lot going on: four kids, dog. Yeah. You know, it's it's a lot, but to make sure that each you know child person has an opportunity to feel like they're they're connecting and we're listening to that how
1: often does that happen the one-on-one time with three kids how how, um, how long does the rotation take uh, to start over again yeah
3: I, I mean like officially like going out like well I, you know it's interesting pandemic, yeah, well, it
1: doesn't actually, have to be, be going like, out just pandemic. just special time no one else around they they you're looking at them they they're looking at you and they feel like they've got you
3: yeah, you know what's interesting? The pandemic has actually helped a ton yeah. with that. Because we've, we're not going anywhere. We're all <laughs> together. You know, like, we you don't, we're not, they're not, they weren't going to school. They weren't going to dance. They weren't going to rock climbing. They weren't going to soccer. So.
1: Any homeschooling having, having, going
3: on? Yeah, a lot of homeschooling. Thank goodness they were all, the baby, you know, he, he was just distraction. But because he was two and a <laughs> half, he just turned three. But the others, thank goodness, they they were—they're self. I don't need to teach them. I couldn't teach them. They're taking like AP Physics and all these. I don't know that stuff anymore. Um, So, but the the um, one-on-one time and the conversations were actually probably almost daily. But non-pandemic time, it was probably you know making sure hopefully like every other week there'd be a good chunk of time where we could Mm -hmm. do something. Um, it it is, has been a little bit different lately because we've had more time to be together. And so the one-on-one time has been better.
1: I Eileen, mean, has your place uh, opened up a little bit?
3: Yeah, I mean, we're in Springfield, Missouri. So part of it is that we don't really know anyone except for we have a, a some families. So it's actually kind of easy to, to social distance because we don't really, it's not like we've got friends we're mm-hmm. dying to see. Uh, we and we have seen some family, um, but yeah. And then Chicago is slowly opening, and they're actually doing well. So we are we are going to go back. They're planning on opening schools, at least the private one. I have one child in public and two in private. So we're planning on going back and hopefully being able to be in school for as long as it makes sense to keep everyone healthy.
1: Well, San Diego has opened up, hasn't it?
3: They did open up, but now they
2: are. Putting some restrictions back in because of the surge and So we're kind of going back and forth between opening and Closing and seeing where we are on the graph and the peak So Eileen, I just am super intrigued to know that If you were able to give a tip for a woman with three kids that's faced with sudden grief and is going through this journey, and you were to give that tip to Eileen in 2011, just one life hack that would make the journey a little less painful, Uh, and I'm saying this for the audience's benefit, what would that life hack be if you were to speak to Eileen in 2011,
3: knowing what you know now? um a- ask for help and then notice notice the help like notice that like be like look around like i i actually do believe that like the world provides the universe provides god provides where, Allah all of provides however whatever you know I, I have a spiritual belief that what you need you will get it won't always look like what you think it should look like or what you want it to look like but whatever you really need, it is it is there. and
2: Provided make, for.
3: Yeah, you are provided for. Um, sometimes you have to shift your mindset and say, oh, you know, like, I wanted this and I got this, but this is actually great. You know, it's like, and to to ask and make requests. I think sometimes it's really hard, and I, I have a hard time. It's like, I like to be independent. I don't like to be, ne- you know, haven't to be needy. I, I like to, you know, not, um, I like, I like that independence, but when you're faced with the situation, um, I, I think this is one of those interesting things. Like you, we all love to be a contribution, especially people that listen to this. Like we all love to be care. Well, we don't all love to be caregivers, but you know, a lot of people, we love, we love to love people. Right. Yeah. And, um, it's. It seems like some most of the time it seems easier to be on the caregiving side, right? But often being on the receiving end is just as big of a contribution. We don't like to be the ones that need all the help. We don't like to be the ones that are flat out, brief, can't make a meal for themselves, can't remember anything because your brain is in brain fog. You can't remember all the details you're supposed to do. It's like... Reach out because those people that can contribute to you—that's um, a gift to them too. They get to love you, and mm-hmm. it is a give and a take. And to balance that out, um, and you know, I'm really grateful that I did have a huge community of people that, uh, when I said help <laughs> mm-hmm. and I needed them, they, you know, they came, they came running. And if that isn't the case, keep looking because it's out there. So, awesome tip.
1: Yeah, for some reason, caregivers have trouble asking for help. You know, um, they don't want to be indebted, they don't want to bother people, put them out. Um, what What have you learned about asking for help, and why do you think there's a resistance for caregivers to ask for it? I, I've had caregivers actually say, hey, if you need anything, you know, here's my number, just call me. And they say, no, 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 I got it, I'm good, you know, and, and they're not good, they don't have it.
3: Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, it is that indebtedness or that feeling like, well, if I, you know, for me, it's like, well, gosh, if I help them, are they, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, for me, I think it's, it's also like, whoops, admitting that you need help seems like a sign of weakness, right? Like, I can't handle this. Mm-hmm. Like, and even like today or like, whatever, the kids are driving me nuts. Like you said, like your teenagers like they're, they have pushed my button. I have lost all patience. <laughs> all I, bets everything, are off. Everything that's going to come out of my mouth is not, not going to go well. And I need to, I do need in those moments to pass, pass the baton. And sometimes, most of the time, you know, I pass it to Mike. But sometimes I pass it to my parents, to Brian's family, to. Um, my sister, you know, I, like I'm, I'm weak, uh, you know, admitting that I'm not always perfect or not always capable. Um, but then they, they get to contribute to me. And then it actually refortifies me and then I'm stronger. And then I can come back and not, um, you know, not, not give my kids a bunch of stuff they don't need. I mean, like, the, you know i've and I've done that. I think everybody's done that like when when you're tired, you're overtired, you know oh. you're you're stressed out and you're trying to do it and you really you can't anymore. and the I'll say the results you're getting, you know, kids are crying, you're crying, everybody's angry, there's yelling. It's like that doesn't work. It's not what we want. So yeah. those are the times to ask. yeah
1: yeah you talk a lot about compassion and love and you know that's that's um panta pantaha right? such a mental b- block i've got on this that's panta's <laughs> message also about compassion
3: You're
1: getting better
3: at it so um <laughs> <laughs> i guess like a kick me. out of this
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know when i think i got it it just i, I, I others it but uh, Pantaha, uh, what are you thinking about um, what she's talking about, uh, compassion? I assume you're in total 100% agreement, and if you have anything to add, throw it in.
2: Yeah, I like when you mentioned weakness, I do want to say I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. You know? That there's courage and vulnerability. And I also think that being emotional and facing your emotions and accepting your you know you're feeling really low at this moment and coming to terms with it is actually strength is not weakness and um you know like dave said my passion is studying compassion and emotional resilience and i have learned and studied and practiced enough to know that having feelings and emotions and empathy and compassion for others is actually the source of emotional resilience. So this whole myth about feeling emotionally weak is a weakness. No, it's a human experience. And we all kind of, whether we like it or not, have to learn to honor it uh, instead of trying to suppress it. And it's so beautiful that you've applied that in, in your own life on a daily basis And you've gotten comfortable with it Admitting to it is actually strength, not weakness
1: Yeah If every caregiver would just have those two goals Love and compassion toward your loved one You know, your job would be a lot easier it, It's an attitude adjustment uh, is, there anything, is there anything Is there anything that you wanted to talk about That we didn't uh, cover yet in these last uh, couple of minutes?
3: No, I just want to say, and towards yourself, love and compassion towards yourself. Of
1: course, yes.
3: Yeah, because I think that's sometimes the hardest that for me. That should be more perfect. important,
1: actually. You know, yeah. more important.
3: Yeah, and it's often the hardest place to go sometimes because we want to be perfect. Yeah. We don't want to be want
1: selfish, to, you know. But selfish right. is not a dirty word if you're a caregiver.
3: No. No, I I think I, I'm so glad that um, you both you know included me and in, invited me to join and um I have had a great great experience and really well, nice this
1: days. is what we do.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's good. And thank you for supporting people who are caregiving. I mean it's a it is. I yeah. I've my half my family is in nursing and and the medical profession, doctors. Um, yep. actually all of my sister-in-laws are, which is kind of ironic. <laughs> So how does so,
1: someone get a hold of you if they want to purchase your book, your memoir?
4: Buy
3: it anywhere books are sold. So you can buy it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore. You might have to order it from your local bookstore cuz they probably don't have it on the shelf. If but there are still available.
1: local bookstores out there, yes.
3: <laughs> I know, I know. Barnes and Noble, Tough Target. Um, I just recorded the audio version uh, last two weekends ago, so it's editing. And oh, good for you! That, that'll be available.
1: That's soon. still on my list for my last three books to do the audio version.
3: <laughs> yeah, you should do that. It, I'm it's
1: yeah, happy. it's on my list. So I'm going <laughs> really to do it. How uh, can you motivate me to do it? How did you like do it? Okay, I got to do this. Boom.
3: Just do it. Get a weekend. Book a weekend. mine it, right. Mine's like 210 pages. Takes a weekend.
1: Now that okay. I have your permission, I can do yeah. it.
3: You should do it, and then, um, and then I have my website Eileen Roberts at on I'm on social media, um, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, so
1: whole shebang. Up,
3: the whole shebang, just like you guys. <laughs> Antaha,
1: how can we get a hold of you and and yeah. learn more about what you do?
3: Uh, I'm just
2: on Pontellvahidi.com com and uh, I do offer for the month of July free care coaching for caregivers and healthcare professionals that are out there and are struggling more than normal because of the COVID crisis and are isolated at home with no support system. Uh, I I love the aspect of caring for people's emotions while caring for people's physical bodies as a nurse, and I believe that my and then the body and in hand And as all three of us can attest You know, caregivers themselves need a caregiver So I'm happy yes. to help anyone out there That could use some help
1: And I was so impressed by her free coaching offer for July I did the same thing So now you can go to get free coaching from her You can come get free coaching from me and, and you're two for one special So again, <laughs> I'm at your, caregiverdave.com your Amen so thank you both for coming on the show. Thank you everybody for tuning in and we will see you again next week. Bye-bye.
3: Bye. Bye Eileen. Bye Dave. Bye. Nice to meet you guys. Thank you.
1: Likewise. Thank you.
3: Sometimes it feels like the sun will
0: never rise. Like the birds will never see again. Keep Breathing take it in